This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the Lord and the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be a very educational edition of Equip. You know, we're in that time of year again where we get a chance to reflect on one of uh, America's greatest and most heralded leaders, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I think it's good that we reflect on his life, his legacy, his impact, and his theology. And as you do delve deeply into the life of any person, no matter how great their contribution is in society, We always do it through the lens of Scripture. Now, what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That tempers the way that we treat even those that we would consider heroes of our uh, national uh, reality or even heroes of the faith. Uh, David, Abraham, the apostles, Peter, and Paul, all of them flawed individuals falling short of the glory of God. Dr. King no different, falling short of the glory of God. So we'll try to give fair treatment to the reality of what it means to be fallen. But yet I think the hope in it all is that if God can use one fallen human being, that means he can use any of us who are fallen human beings. With that being said, today I want to give treatment and to ask the question, how will we receive Dr. King's ministry, his uh, legacy, his uh words and his uh, impact today. If he were around today, how would Dr. King be received in a modern sense? To help us to navigate this conversation, I'm so grateful to have Dr. George Yancey. He's a professor for the Institute of Studies of Religion at Baylor University. He specializes in race and ethnicity and religion. He has really promoted collaborative communication as a solution for racial unrest. His books include Beyond Racial Gridlock and Transcending Racial Barriers. I'm so grateful for him and the work that he's done, and uh, it's my uh, joy and honor to have him on with me today. Dr. Yancey, how are you? It's great to hear you, Chris. I'm doing fine. You know, I recently, I, I, I need to mention this to you, I recently was asked to write a chapter for an upcoming book on um, race and ethnicity, in particular in light of evangelism and apologetics. And I found myself quoting you extensively and encouraging folks to delve deeply into your work, in particular beyond racial gridlock. And, uh, man, I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. It's impacting many. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm blessed that, uh, that you feel that way about my work. Well, you know, the big emphasis of your work is mutual accountability. And before we delve into Dr. King, 
his life, his legacy, his impact. Just explain the heart of mutual accountability and what you've been trying to do from your post there at Baylor. Well, I, I believe that the, the, the key towards our, our racial healing or dealing with the racial alienation is to learn how to have productive conversations with one another. We solve problems by considering not just our own needs, which you have to do, but the needs of others. To me, this is a very much more biblical approach than what we usually do, which is I'm right, and I'm going to force other people to accept that I'm right, which unfortunately I see that across the board. And I think that we won't solve our racial problems in any sort of permanent fashion until we head in that direction. And, I, and like I said, I think this is the direction, and, and you know, in my book, I try to explain why, but I think this is a biblically-based direction, not just something that I've come up on my own. Your work be in uh, Beyond Racial Division really highlights the deficiencies of both colorblindness as well as uh, anti-racism which seems to dominate the landscape of our conversation uh, nationally. So, again, I say all that just to encourage folks to take seriously your work, to read it beyond just this conversation. But let's uh, get germane and focus our conversation, the rest of our conversation, on the life of Dr. King. It's interesting. I was talking to his niece not too long ago, uh, Dr. Alveda King, and uh, I asked her what it's like going into schools now talked about Dr. King to kids, and she said something that surprised me, and that is that while a lot of people still know his name, interestingly, increasingly, a lot of younger kids don't know what he's done. Uh, Some, uh, when asked who is Dr. King, uh, respond, oh, he's the guy who freed the slaves, or uh, he was one of America's founding fathers. So who was Dr. King for those who may not uh, really know who he was. Well, <clears throat> I mean, obviously King was the one who freed the slaves. Uh, that, 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 wow, I did not know was, our education was that bad. But uh, <laughs> he was the one who led the uh, civil rights movement, the modern civil rights movement. Well, after, yeah. slavery, was, well, after slavery had been abolished, African Americans were still a second-class citizen in so many ways. In our, you know, our political participation, we couldn't fully participate in our economic activities and the way we're stigmatized, so many ways. And so King led the movement that ultimately led to a lot of the, uh, the, the, the modern civil rights laws. I believe King's movement changed African-Americans, you know, and I'm not saying that there aren't still uh, institutional racism out there and things of that nature, but it really eliminated or start the process of eliminating the notion that African Americans could be made second-class citizens without any sort of recourse. Yeah, and, and I uh, think— And his movement—go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, to to your point, I think one of the things that he helped to recognize is that racism went beyond just uh, individual treatment, uh, interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships. I think what he helped to bring awareness to is the fact that Fallen human beings organize themselves into societies with structures, and that fallenness goes beyond just our interpersonal relationships. We tend to, throughout human history, codify our our sinfulness, our marginalization towards one another. We turn it into policies and laws, and those live beyond any one person. So you can remove a person, uh, but those laws, unless they're changed— 
uh, unless they are adjusted, unless policies are uh, rebuked in many ways uh, that are marginalizing or dehumanizing people, that can continue on beyond just one person. Yeah, and and the, and the laws that King was fighting against were much more overtly ra- racist. Yes, uh, yes. You know, I mean, we talk about institutional racism today, and and you don't have those sort of overtly racist laws. And another thing I just have to mention about King and what makes him such a, a great man of his time is that there was pushback other than King. A lot of that pushback was much more hostile, uh, much more tearing on violence. King's philosophy, his nonviolent philosophy was, I'm going to care about the white person as well as the person of color. I'm going to care about the soul of this white person because what Paul is happening to this person is they're deadening their soul by engaging in this racism. And you don't, you don't, you don't confront that with a gun. You confront that with nonviolence. And his philosophy of nonviolence, which I read about in grad school and early in my career, is very captivating as to this is how we can change society in, in, in a way which is not just about gaining power, but gaining lives. And this is what made King such a great leader that he was. Uh, so, so, you know, I think a lot of what we have today, where he is responsible for, for delivering. Yes. Once again, not that we've solved everything, but yeah. he, he took us qualitatively to a much more higher level, much more a stronger sense of of of, of ending racial alienation uh, for for his time, and it didn't have to go that way. If yeah, other leaders had been in right. power, it could have gone to a darker place. Well, so, you know, I, I mean, so yeah, I was I was just going to say I find it disingenuous uh, to either say that we haven't made progress to deny the progress mm-hmm. that we have made as a country, which many try to do, but I also find it equally disingenuous to deny what had to happen, the struggle that had to happen for us to make that progress. There are those who will pretend as if we're still in the Jim Crow era. Then there's those Mm -hmm. who will pretend to believe that we have such a level of moral enlightenment that we are so far beyond that that it just naturally happened. The fact of the matter is, is that the sad ending of Dr. King's life was his assassination, and he was assassinated mm-hmm. uh, for for many contributing factors, but not the least of which is his uh, his life, his ministry, his message threatened to upset the the racial power structure of his day, and we need not forget that. I love that you brought up the interconnectedness. He's famous for saying that um, our lives, all of our lives are interrelated, and we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of identity. And so he was famous for saying that either we'll learn to live together as brothers or we'll die together as fools. And so Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate that brief, succinct summary of his life. When did you first start reading Dr. King seriously? Because it seems to me like there are two stages of awareness with Dr. King. There's the general soundbite awareness, the stuff that maybe you get around this time of year, peripheral. And then there is the level of uh, maybe enlightenment, understanding that comes from reading him seriously and really unpacking his genius, his um, 
his way with words. I call him the most quotable leader, the most tweetable leader America's ever produced, probably. So when did you start reading him seriously? Yeah, I, I, it was very early in my career. I don't, I, I'm trying to think. I don't think it was grad school, per se, because really in grad school, I wasn't doing a lot of research on racial issues. So I, I think it was early in my career when I uh, was more interested. Part of it as a Christian is I've been wanting, and I hope I've articulated, a Christian response to racism. And so he yes. was one of the sources I looked towards to sort of you know, think, about, think about more deeply about it. And that's yes. when I started to read King in his own words. Because, you know, a lot of times, well, a lot, what, what I think happens with most people, well, I understand, not everyone has the time or inclination to read, you know, uh, King in his own words. But a lot of people, you know, they'll, look, they'll, they'll listen to his speech. I have a dream speech. Or, or, or they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll hear this and hear that about him. And people talk about King. I, you know, I read, you know, Strength to Love and Why We Can't Wait and, and, and a lot of yes. other works which helped me to endear me to, you know, to his philosophy in his own words and not how people have told me about his philosophy. Yeah, I would encourage folks to do that. I, I think Strength to Love is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I think The Measure of a Man is also a really good book for him. Uh, but I do think that we need to encourage folks to delve deeply. Michael Honey, I got a chance to interview him once, and he compiled a book of King's speeches both on um, both to on race as well as on uh, work and economics. I think it's in, important to understand his insights there as well. As we talk about Dr. King, we're going to talk about the, the good. We'll also talk about the flawed parts of his humanity and how we as Christians should see what it is to be fallen but yet used by God. Today, as we reflect on the legacy and life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I want to encourage you to not so much fix your eyes on him, but to fix your eyes on Jesus, because it's Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Towards that end, I want to encourage you to get our resource of the month, Memorizing Scripture. What are the basics, the blessings, the benefits of memorizing Scripture? Well, Glenna Marshall shows you how in the book, Memorizing Scripture. It can be yours with a gift of any amount to equip. Go to our website, equipradio.org. We'll be right back. Every new year, we set goals and resolutions, but I've got one that every Christian needs to put on their list, memorizing scripture. It's a powerful and essential part of our spiritual growth. To show you how serious I am about it, I want to send you a book to help you get started. It's simply titled Memorizing Scripture. I'll send you a copy today with a gift of any amount. Call us at 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. My guest today, Dr. George Yancey. I wish I had uh, a half a day to uh, talk to Dr. Yancey just to uh, get his thoughts. I think Dr. George Yancey is arguably the most insightful Christian thinker on race in our time. And I would encourage you to read more of his books. Uh, it was last November we got a chance to talk about your book, Beyond Racial Division. And that would be a great starting point. If you want to go to our archives, past programs on our website, you can listen to that 
an interview with George Yancey, again, at EquipRadio.org. Also, check out our social platforms on Facebook and Twitter at Equip Radio. You can also uh, support the program by dialing 888-644-4144. And what a great day to do this. Because as I think about where our nation is at, as I think about even being in an election year, uh, the reality is is that our racial tensions continue to be exploited by politicians and pundits, and we need a Christian voice in the midst of that. And I hope that you found equipped to be such a voice. And if so, let's support that. Because if we don't, then what we're in essence doing is conceding the discussion to those who will use um, their influence to cause greater divisions and tensions and and lead us towards a road and uh, a point of no return. So I do encourage you, call 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. Dr. Yancey, I'd love to hear your thoughts. As someone who has not only studied deeply about race and ethnicity, but also uh, Dr. King more particularly, I'd love to hear you uh, share with us what you think Dr. King would feel about some of the realities that we face today. And let, let me start with CRT, because it feels to me that to talk at all about racial inequities that still do exist, though I acknowledge the tremendous progress we've made, to some, to acknowledge any inequalities is to um, be dangerous of promoting CRT. How would Dr. King feel or respond to that, you think? Yeah, you know, it's, it's always tricky to try, try to put yourself in the mind of someone else and say, well, this is what this person would say. So, uh, so I want to be very careful on this. I don't know uh, how King would approach uh, CRT, whether he would have embraced it completely or offered his critique of it. Uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, I think that there are probably certain elements of it or expressions of it he'd probably be uncomfortable with. But, you know, the recognition of institutional racism and persistent racism, I think that he would accept. I do think, you know, once again, you know, I'm speculating. I do think he would be uh, discouraged by the way some people have used uh, uh, hostility towards CRT to uh, to oppose even discussing uh you know, institutional ways in which race, racism still matters. Um, the way that some people w- would use it in order to shut down conversations, in order to uh, to not listen to what people kind of have to say. I do, uh, you know, I feel more confident that he would uh, come down that way. Now, whether he would accept CRT in its entirety, you know, I think that's an interesting question. I think that you could probably argue you know, maybe he would have, but I think that there, there's a chance he might not have. But uh, yeah. the way it's been tr- used as a political political football, I think, is is depressing, a little bit depressing to him. Yeah, and I think that the cautionary tale here is that what we need to make sure we don't do is to say there's no space to have any conversations about the way race is constructed in our country the way it has been used and manipulated, the way it currently is by some. To deny that is to deny one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith, and that is classically called hermodiology or sin, and the sin-fallen nature of humanity 
the the narrative the the uh, narrative arc of scripture or progressive revelation is not that that get gets better or improves and i think that part of what um i, I think some of my christian brothers and sisters are in danger of is to pretend as if the fall in certain areas has uh, has improved and and by default, unassumingly buying into and promoting a type of moral evolution thinking that we can evolve morally beyond uh, the the reality of our sinful nature. And I, and I think that we have to be able to not shut down those conversations. Now, albeit we can say what is fair, what is good as far as how to have those conversations. And I think your book takes us a very long way in, in how to have those conversations in the framework of mutual accountability, but we can't in whole shut them down. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum and let's talk about anti-racism. You know, it used to be that the goal as it pertains to uh, racism in America was simply not to be racist. Well, that's no longer the goal. Now the demand is that you are anti-racist. For those who don't understand what that term means, can you explain, to the best of your ability, uh, what anti-racism is and, uh, yeah, how, how you think it, about it in light of Dr. King's life and legacy? So from my reading of the anti-racists, you know, I look at they have certain tenets that they tend to, tend to support, uh, that racism is pervasive. Uh, that it's multifaceted. It's not just about personal racism. It's about institutions. Uh, and that there's different roles for whites and non-whites. And, and most notably that uh, white, the, the role of whites is to do what non-whites want them to do. Uh, and that we need a uh, total societal change. Uh, you know, I think there are elements of it that uh, I think are, are, are accurate. I think racism is multifaceted. It's more persuasive than people recognize. But the, uh, the differential roles, and, and I'm not against the notion of differential roles for whites and non-whites. I think that that is probably true. But to the degree to which whites have to capitulate to people of color, I, I think it's very problematic. Uh, I suspect, you know, I suspect that King would like certain elements of anti-racism, but some of the rhetoric I think would, would, would be troubling to him. You know, once again, speculating on what King would 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 say is is you know dangerous, but uh, but I suspect that some of the rhetoric, some of what I've heard, because some of what I've heard is is quite frankly dehumanizing, uh, and and I think that that would I I think that that would disturb King. That that you know I don't, I hope I'm not reading myself into what King would feel like, but I think that would be disturbing to King, uh, and, and so that's where we're at with anti-racism. Yeah, I think that um, it's it's fair to be able to ask the questions of how has the racial power structure in America affected us? What needs to be changed about that? To use some modern yeah. terms, what needs to be deconstructed in the way we think, in the way that we have done policies and laws and, and those things, and what needs to replace it? And while it may be certainly speculative to try to forecast what Dr. King would feel, probably what is a lot firmer ground is to say, what does Scripture reveal, right? Yeah. And if yeah. I look at Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul seems to be very clear that the aim of it all 
was not to deny the Jew-Gentile distinction, not to pretend as if the Jew-Gentile distinction did not exist, but to say that Christ was reconciling in his flesh on that cross us to God and through faith in him, us to one another, that Jesus' reconciling work would lead to ethnic reconciliation within the body of Christ, and that would bear witness to a to a watching world. Do you feel like that helps in us approaching anti-racism? Yeah, I do, because here's, here's where, I'm, where I come from. You know, it seems to me that uh, if what we say as Christians is true, our approach to issues such as race should not reflect the same approach as the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, I understand the attraction of anti-racism for a person of color, especially one who has felt uh, some of the issues that we're talking about, who may have felt personal racism, may have seen institutional racism impact him or her. I understand it. But then the temptation is is to take that feeling and take some of those calls for justice and determine the calls for revenge. Yeah and, yeah, and 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 I see that in some of the anti-racism writing. Uh, you know, just one just one piece. Uh, there's a condemnation of white women crying. Now, you know, uh, I just I just don't get that. I mean, yeah. you know, I, you could disagree with someone, but if someone's emotions, let them have those emotions, and then and then we work together. But it's almost like no, you have to act the way that we want you to act. And I think when we, I think no matter who we are. When we get into that stage, we are really dangerous because then our human depravity tends to really rare its ugly head. Was Dr. King a believer in colorblindness? After all, one of his most famous quotes is, I have a dream for my four little children that one day they will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Some have used this as an argument for colorblindness. We'll talk to Dr. George Yancey about that and so much more on the other side of this break. I want to encourage you to find out more about our guest and about our resource by going to our website, equipradio.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Uh, so grateful to have today my guest, Dr. George Yancey. He's professor at the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University, specializing in race and ethnicity and religion. And during this time of year where we reflect on the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he is a voice that I think is worth listening to. I want to encourage you to find out more about Dr. Yancey by going to our website, equipradio.org. While you're there, consider supporting the program. I also want you to mark your calendars. If you are a monthly partner with us, you should know that coming up on February 1st, that's a Thursday, immediately following our program will be our next Zoom webinar. It's called Understanding Islam. There's been a resurgence in, obviously, attention to the Middle East, what's happening there. There's also been uh, a pretty strong outpouring of support for not only the Palestinian people, some would even argue for Hamas, and to understand all that's happening there, I think we have to understand Islam, but not just in a vacuum, but through the lens of our faith. 
through the lens of the gospel. So we're going to do just that. And I think it's going to help you in very practical ways in sharing your faith with your Muslim neighbor, coworker, uh, friend, and colleague, but also in understanding what the scriptures have to say about what we can expect in the days to come. God's sovereignty over the unfolding affairs of our world. So I do think that this is both practical and prophetic. So join us. Make sure you register if you're a monthly partner. Registration is easy. All you have to do is go into your email. You should look for an Equipper Encouragement email. You can search under Equipper Encouragement, and uh, you'll see a message from me and also registration links within that email. And then if you're not a monthly partner, don't fret. It's easy to become one. Simply call 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. George, uh, as we think about these major concepts that seem to shape our racial dialogue, one of the ones that seems on the surface to be commendable uh, for those who really want us to make progress, those who really want to see reconciliation, is uh, what's been labeled as colorblindness. What is that uh, for those who may not know what colorblindness is? And, and when you reflect on that, in particular in light of the message of Dr. King, uh, what are some of your assessments? Yeah, so colorblindness is basically saying that we're going to ignore race, that we'll treat everyone the same, that your race will not matter, and, and and that's the way, you know, basically that's the way we're going to deal with, with racial issues, that, you know, if issues come up, we'll just treat everyone the same, we'll just ignore race, and then we'll be good. So, and it, I mean, it, it, in contrast to anti-racism, it's much more easier to explain. Yeah, and, you know, what's, what's interesting is that on the surface it sounds great. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that every single one of us wants to be treated, as Dr. King said, based off of the content of our character, and not the color of our skin. When I go into a job interview, I want people to measure me based off of what I've done, what I've tried to accomplish. I want that for you as well. I, you know, I don't want to be hired solely based off of my race. I don't want to uh, use that uh, for for that purpose. But yet, there's some downside to this, and and to me, it seems, Doctor Yancey, that the downside is unfortunately. That's not the way our world has been run. And to pretend as if race or if ethnicity is not a thing is to deny the impact of our past on our present. Yeah, so that's, when, I, when I talk about uh, racial issues and colorblindness, that's the thing I point out. Like, colorblindness would be great if we lived in a totally fair world. If, if race really did not have, like, for example, uh, we could be relatively blind about hair color because really hair color doesn't matter that much. Uh, some people may prefer blondes or redheads, but really in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter that much. We know through a lot of studies that our race still impacts us, that uh, African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans are less likely to get a job interview simply because of their name it is Leroy or Juan. Uh, we, we know that healthcare system treats uh, people differently by race. Uh, now, I'm not talking about a Jim Crow type of situation, so I don't want people going off saying, oh, you, you, we know Jim Crow. I know that. But research has shown that people are still treated differently by race. Jobs are not black. still a reality. So colorblindness would be great if we truly, truly uh, 
treat everyone the same by race. But since we don't, and since our society doesn't, it becomes problematic. Well, you know, and I think even further, now going back to Scripture, what Jesus and the apostles seem to drive home again and again is that one of the ways that the power of the gospel would be demonstrated would be through the reconciling work of Christ to bring for them Jew and Gentile together, uh, nations together. And I think that the colorblindness approach uh, in many ways undermines unintentionally the power of the gospel to be able to say, yeah, there, there are cultural barriers that if we didn't have Christ would legitimately separate us. But because we are in Christ, we don't lose those eth- ethnic realities, but we have a greater power, i.e. his blood and the sacrifice on the cross that brings us together to form a new identity whereby which we become brothers and sisters in Christ. I think the gospel is the answer to this. Yes, the, the gospel definitely gives us a, an overarching identity by which we can see each other as brothers and sisters in a way that's much more harder without it. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's part of, 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 I think, the solution the gospel has to offer. I think it goes beyond that into looking at uh, human depravity. But part of it is that, you know, I must look at everyone as an image bearer. And yes. so I'm not free to hate anyone. And, and, and even if they're not a Christian, then they're still my neighbor. Uh, but if they are a Christian, they're my brother and sister. And if I have that attitude, that goes a long way in dealing with these issues. I talked about uh, the book of Romans reminding us that even when we look at people we admire, and I do in many ways admire Dr. King and have, like you, uh, tried to reflect deeply on his work and in my writing even uh, build upon some of the ideas that I think are most redeemable in his anthropology because I do think one of the areas of theology that Christians have not taken seriously enough, at least up until this generation, is anthropology. It seems like anthropology is just one of those areas where you could be a heretic and still be accepted. And and I think that that's sad. Um, but as much as I commend Dr. King there, uh, you wrote an article not too long ago, a few years ago, of kings and fallen heroes. Uh, and we got to talk about uh, some of the sad parts of Dr. King's legacy. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about those things. Um, the fact is, is that uh, there's a lot of evidence, and we'll know more in 2027 when sealed tapes are going to be released, uh, but there's a lot of evidence that Dr. King exploited women, uh, had many affairs. Um, how do you deal with the sad parts of his legacy as you reflect on his life? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a continuing revelation for me because when I started first reading King, I didn't know anything about this. Uh, and then I heard the r- rumors, I heard, and I heard people say, well, it, it is likely that he, he had an affair with his wife, on his, you know, cheating on his wife and that sort of thing. And, and so I accepted that, even though I obviously didn't approve or, 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 or like it, but I accepted, okay, you know, this probably, probably didn't happen, and I his work. But then I read an article a few years ago that, that prompted this, this uh, blog, I think it was, that really showed it was much worse than just having an affair, that right, some of it right, was, was pretty extensive. degrading. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
And, you know, and at the time, of course, Me Tooism was there. And I've been, you know, at the forefront of, of, of you know, telling, telling people, look, you know, Me Too is, is can it go too far? Yes. But there's a lot that really needs to be confronted. I mean, I, I have a lot of female friends who unfortunately have, have been misused by men. And, and, so, and, 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 and from, from listening to them, I know what it means when a powerful man gets away with it. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, it really made me rethink that even though I'd known he had had affairs, I always assumed, you know, he's a powerful man and they were consensual. Uh, they, all of them may not be consensual. And once again, we won't know for certain until that 20, 20, till 2027. Uh, and, and it's more than just a couple, uh, according to some yes. evidence. Yeah. And, uh, and it, you know, it reminds us that as Grace King was and, 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 and his ideas, you know, they thrill me and, and everything like that, he's human too. And that's not yeah. to excuse it. You know, we all have depravity that we are struggling with. I mean, I, I've never done things like this, but I have my own depravity. And it's, it's always easy to say, well, you know, I would have. Unfortunately, I'm not just talking about King here. I've noticed a pattern of powerful men who use their power to, uh, to exploit women. Uh, and so many men who say they wouldn't do that, unfortunately, I think would have had the power to do that. And only if we really are walking closer to the Lord can we get to the point to where we, perhaps we could become confident that we wouldn't have. But still, we must be humbled knowing that, you know, when we have this sort of power, that, that there's temptations to do some of these evil, awful things. Yeah, I so, wanted to. Uh, I just want to be honest about it. I mean, I just yes, you know, yes. I, I I love King, but I don't I, I don't want to be a sickle fan. I don't want to put him on a pedestal that he doesn't belong to be on. Yeah, we have a, a natural reflex, uh, in particular if you're raised in African American community, mm-hmm. to um, yes. to defend him uh, from all um, allegations, attacks, and some of those have been racialized. But we also have to. Mm-hmm also be honest about um again the fall the 100 percent reality that connects all of us is that we all are in need of salvation we all are 100 percent uh connected through our sinfulness and nature and so to try to pretend it as if anyone is not if uh yes. if the apostle paul needed jesus and his mistakes are well documented in scripture. If Peter's fallenness is well documented in scripture, King David's fallenness well documented in scripture, Abraham and his deceptions and fallenness, then I don't think the Bible exempts any of us from having to yeah. acknowledge our sinfulness and fallenness. And so to those brothers and sisters in Christ who have that natural reflex to try to defend Dr. King against all allegations. I would say let's pause, let's look at his life through the lens of Scripture. Uh, Obviously, again, I want to just preface all that we're saying again uh, by by, uh, reminding folks that some of this is speculative, some seems to have more evidence than just speculation. But if true, all of these things have to be condemned with the strongest voice in order for us to remain faithful to the teachings of theology and the doctrines of Scripture, and to the message of Christ. And I think that our ability to have that consistency actually is what adds credibility to our gospel witness. 
Now we can do that with Paul, with David, with Peter, with Dr. King, without uh, denying those things said and done that do align with scripture. And as much as my life or your life aligns with the word of God, it should be commended. In the areas where my life or your life does not align with the word of God, it should be condemned. Because after all, Christ is our Lord. And as I said earlier, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Dr. Yancey has spent much of his life talking to college students about race. We'll ask him for wisdom, insights, and how we can do that as well with the young adults in our life. Go to EquipRadio.org. We'll be right back. Friends, I want to take a moment to invite you to our next Equipper webinar coming up on Thursday, February 1st, right after the program. With the spread of Islam, it's crucial that you and I are equipped to think and speak biblically about this religion. And I'll also explain the history and teaching of the Muslim faith. Bring your questions and join the discussion about understanding Islam. Equippers, look for an email from me with the registration details for this free interactive webinar. Now, if you're not an equipper and want to attend, become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Understanding Islam is going to be our next Zoom webinar. You can register today. I encourage you to do so. Go to our website, equipradio.org, to find out more. And if you're a monthly partner, all you got to do is go into your inbox and your email. Type in Equipper Encourager, and you can register at the link there. Dr. George Yancey is my guest. Again, thank you, Dr. Yancey, for carving out time to be with us. I know life is busy. A lot of projects going on, and I appreciate your time to talk about such an important topic. You have spent a lot of your um, professional life training college students, so I won't really press you to uh, share about um, maybe how to have racial conversations with small children. Uh, You're welcome to give any insights you want to do there. But I'm really concerned about um, CRT, anti-racism, colorblindness, and how it's affecting young adults and our college students. So any advice on how we should navigate these things with them as Christians? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the thing about college students is they're very idealistic. Uh, Many of them are very idealistic. And so uh, part of what I think, and not just college students, but a lot of individuals, they need is to learn nuance, is you know, there's a real danger for many of them is that they get an ideal and they take it to the extreme and almost any idea to the extreme is problematic. Uh, you know, love to the extreme becomes codependency. Uh, discipline to, you know, extreme becomes, can become abuse. And so what I find is, like, those who, who are supporting colorblindness or anti-racism do it to such an extent to where they don't see nuance, they, they don't have balance. Uh that's kind of what I try to, to introduce to them as I talk about these racial issues that, you know, you can be right in certain situations, but then you apply to other situations and it falls apart. Uh, that, 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 you know, we need to have a little bit more sophistication in how we think. And, that, and part of that's just growing up. Uh, but I, I do think that that is a challenge that we could think about, not just on racial issues, but on a lot of issues with our college students, teaching them, you know, let's, let the, let's, let's use their excitement and let it help to drive us, but also, 
let's try to help them to learn some wisdom and nuance in the way things work in our in our lives and in our walks. You know, I would just go on to say as well that as we are working with college students, um, I think it's so important that the church lead in having these important conversations and not run away from them because they're going to have the conversation. They're going to be talking to one another about what's happening in the world around us, trying to make sense of our world. And when the church refuses to give an answer or to engage in certain conversations, in essence, what we're doing is conceding, as I said earlier, we're conceding the uh, uh, the ground to uh, anti-gospel thoughts and ways of uh, of living. So I do, in, in, it, you know, encourage the church to have these tough conversations center it on the gospel, continue to encourage people to keep their eyes on Jesus and look to practical voices like Dr. Yancey on how to navigate and nuance these things. Dr. Yancey, what's on the horizon for you? I recently read that you submitted a script to um, a manuscript to Temple University Press. I know you got some things uh, around the corner. What's coming up for George Yancey? Yeah, so I, I you know, I've, I've read, I have written a book on anti-racist. Uh, people who are anti-racist, not anti-racism. You know, I'm not looking. I'm not arguing about anti-racism in, in a sense. Uh, and and yeah, they have, I have a book contract, and I don't know when the book's going to come out. I, I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be late this year. It could be next year. Uh, <laughs> the, but, the joyful yeah. world of publishing. <laughs> well, it's still too early. I mean, I don't know how. You know, they haven't yeah. given me yeah. a, a schedule yet. But it, but ha- but we have turned in the final manuscript. Uh, before the queries, of course, and all. I don't know if you ever read a book, but yes. you'll get the queries yes. and you'll, you'll get the copy editing, but uh, our manuscript has been turned in. So we'll see. So that's, that's my immediate pro- big project. And then I'm just working on some research articles. Well, we appreciate you, and again, we appreciate your time. And for those of, who don't know Dr. Yancey, one of the reasons why I want to have him on is that you're one of those individuals who, yes, writes about race, but you are deeply, deeply committed to the message of Christ and taking that seriously and how that shapes your life and how that should be integrated into all of who we are, including our professional work. And I am grateful for that commitment. So thank you, uh, Dr. Yancey, for all that you're doing and our prayers continue to be with you, brother. Thank you and God bless. Friends, as we consider the life and legacy of all of uh, God's people, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let us celebrate the good and let us uh, look at the fallenness as a reminder to us of our common need for salvation. We all need the gospel. I need the gospel. You need the gospel. And if you find yourself in longing for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, know this, salvation is found in Christ alone. Repent from your sins. Avoid the wrath that is to come. Cling to Jesus. You can learn more about a relationship with Jesus, putting your faith in him by dialing 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.